Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. Today we're on week five of our series titled Broken Heart. And in this series, we have talked about some very hard, difficult subjects. And my goal was, with this series was to also answer a lot of questions that I see online or in-house and people ask all the time, how do I get past this? How do I know joy? How do I know know peace? How do I know the love of God when my heart feels so broken right now because of the relationships that I had that have left me or the things that have happened in my life? And so we talked about some difficult subjects. We talked about separation. We talked about rejection. We talked about chasing the world. And last week, we talked about an identity crisis, not knowing who we are in Christ. Sometimes some of us were in such a rush right now that we're becoming a person we don't even like, right? Because we're not spending time in the presence of God, hearing his word and knowing how to move forward. And I'm telling you today, and I believe that every week I've been showing you that no matter what you have been through, no matter what you're going through or what you're going through in the future, God can always heal a broken heart. Amen? Do you believe that? And he does this by his, his word. And this is why it's so good that we get together like this, because we get to be in his word, which is his truth that always sheds light into our situation. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And do you understand this is why the devil does not want you to read his word? Because he wants to put all these voices inside of your head. He wants the world to tell you how you should feel, how you should look, and that you're never going to be good enough. But what happens when you read this word, right? You understand that God created you in his image, that he has a purpose for you. And listen to me, that purpose is not to be defeated. Because we already have victory in Jesus Christ for what he did upon that cross. We should rejoice every day in what God has already accomplished in our lives. But today I want to talk about a very kind of controversial subject within Christianity just because it sounds morally wrong. And I'm going to explain in a minute, but this is a hard one. The title for today's message is this, it's Boundaries. Boundaries. Is it okay for a Christian to say no? Now look, some of you have no problem saying no. In fact, many of you probably already said no this morning. Like, no, do not touch my coffee. That's mine. Make your own, okay? Some of you get here at church and you're like, no, thank you. I don't want another hug, okay? I don't know you. There's a lot going on in the world. I love Jesus. Don't want to touch you right now, okay? That's fine. Some of us are good at saying no, but sometimes it can be a little more difficult to say no. Maybe you had that friend that called you up out of nowhere like, hey, I'm moving this weekend. That's great. I'm so glad, so happy for you. Can you come and help me? And it may be hard because you're thinking, okay, well, that's the right thing to do. I feel bad. They're my friend. But at the same time, guess what? You haven't spent time with family in a very long time. And you finally have a weekend to be with your family and to show love to them. Do you say no in that situation? Because it just feels wrong. Or as a pastor, you know, I'll have people come up to me and say, hey, pastor, I got a Bible question. And I'm like, okay, this should be fun. Let's see. What's, what's your question? I only got a list of like 300, okay, questions. Do you have time to sit down right now and answer every question that I have? No, I don't. I would love to answer every question that you have, but I don't have time right now. But I thought you were a pastor. I thought you were a Christian. I thought that when I'm struggling and going through something at 2 a.m., you should be sitting by the phone waiting on me. Newsflash, I'm not, okay? I love you, but at 2 a.m., I'm asleep. I'm out. I'm not sitting by the phone, okay? But it just sounds wrong to say no to these things. And so what a lot of us do, because we don't want to hurt feelings, we kind of get that side answer. Like, okay, well, maybe I can, but let me check my schedule, knowing good and well you haven't had a schedule since 2010, all right? Now, listen to this, because Jesus said it very clearly. He said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Don't give it any side answers. Don't promise anything. Just say yes or no. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. He said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Now, listen to this. Anything more comes from evil or the evil one. Meaning Jesus was stating, don't promise things for people to trust you. Your words should be good enough. 
Because you're a human being, you're not in control of tomorrow, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, so you may promise something, and then you may not be able to fulfill that promise, okay? So just say yes or no. But looking at these situations and these questions, sometimes it's like, Jesus? But no just sounds mean. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but I just can't right now. And I see some of your faces. Some of y'all are like, it doesn't sound mean to me. I'll say no anytime, any day. No problem, right? And then you got these scriptures, though. You got these really loving scriptures that um, people love to bring up in church to love others, okay? And to, and to act selflessly for them to love and put others first. John chapter 15, verse 12 and 13. Now listen to this. This is my commandment. What do we do? We love each other in the same way that I have loved you, Jesus says. For there is no greater love than to what? Lay one's life down for our friends. And that's when your friend gives you that evil stare like you didn't help me move, right? You're supposed to lay down your life and help me out, and you weren't there to help me. And then that's not even the worst. There's harder verses than that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 29, if anyone slaps you in the cheek, what do you do? Offer them the other cheek also. You might punch him. That's something else, too. But if someone demands your coat, do what? Offer your shirt. And we read this, and if we don't know the biblical context behind it, we look at that and like, God, like, what are you doing? Like, that's overstepping. That's overstepping boundaries. Somebody comes into my life and slaps me in the face. Right now, I'm telling you, I'm going to slap them back by the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen. Hallelujah. Do not mess with me today. It's not today, but it's, it's hard to do this sometimes. And we look at this. And it, but what I want you to understand, too, is a lot of times we take these scriptures out of context because Jesus was also preparing his disciples. And he's stating to them, listen, you're not only going to lose your shirt for following me, you're going to lose your life, all right? You're going to lose a lot of things, but the goal here is bigger than, than you. It's actually following me and understanding that by worshiping me, by following me, by being obedient, even when you lose everything, it will bring salvation to the world. And he was preparing the disciples to be selfless. There is a goal. There is a task that is above every other, and it is to follow but in our culture today, when it comes to this, I've realized that there are two misconceptions about Christianity and having boundaries, and I want to go over those. So the first misconception is this. Many Christians have believed that it is unloving and selfish to set boundaries in life. Really have. We've had videos go online about forgiveness and all that, and, and people sometimes, and I've said things like, you can forgive somebody but you still have to set boundaries. And I'm gonna go over that in a little bit because people may come back into your life and hurt you over and over and over again. And that's where it gets difficult. What do I do now, right? Because I'm starting to hate them because I keep forgiving them, yet they keep hurting me. And there have been some Christians that have stated, well, that's unloving and selfish to set boundaries. Jesus would never set boundaries. Is that true? I'm going to show you today that Jesus set many, many boundaries, but somehow we have believed this lie that forgiveness means allowing people to come back into our life, hurting us over and over and over again. And guess what? I see this the most in toxic relationships, right? I've seen this the most in toxic relationships. If you're dating somebody right now and you're already seeing patterns, you're seeing them lie to you, put you down, cheat on you, and leave you, and then come back and just say what? I'm sorry. I've seen people, okay, I accept your apology. I forgive you. Now come back in. The relationship's all good. And then what happens? It's a pattern because that person's character didn't change. It's the same situation. It is the same heartbreak over and over and over again. And people, <laughs> I see the comments and they're asking like, why would God do this to me? God's not. That is not God's fault. In fact, his word says something totally differently, different for you because God wants to protect your heart. He doesn't want it broken by people that want to take advantage of you, especially within a relationship. That's not the relationship that God designed for you. That's not the covenant marriage that God had for you. Christ gave up his life for the church. Okay, and that's the relationship we should go after. But listen to this, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. What does it say? Guard your heart. 
I'll just freely give it to anybody that says, I love you, and I want to be with you. But guard your heart above all else. Here's the reason why. Because it what? It determines the course of your life. Let me state it like this. If you fall in love with somebody who is selfish and a narcissist, guess what? That is the rest of your life. That's what, the, come on, come on. It's okay. We can shout in here with something's good. But that's what God is stating. You need to guard your heart. Just because you might be emotionally connected to somebody or attracted to them, look at the features, look at the heart, look at their character. Because if they act this way now, guess what? Man, and they may tell you the right things, but what's the fruit? Right? What fruit are you seeing? If a, if a tree is an apple tree, then it should produce apples, not something else. But we get so caught up in the emotions and God is stating you need to guard your heart. It is so easy to be deceived, especially by the way your heart feels. And scripture also tells us that the heart can be one of the most wicked, evil things about us because it will constantly desire flesh. And so the word of God has been sent here to show us the truth and put our hearts in check to protect it. I'm going to state it like that, to protect you. So that your heart is not broken, so that your life is not taken advantage of by somebody else. But the second misconception is this. There's a worldview that Christians, that all believers are just a bunch of pushovers. All right? You're just going to forgive everybody and just allow people to walk all over you because you're a Christian and you should always do the right thing and give me exactly what I want when I want it because that is the Christian thing to do. And we've had some videos also go out about forgiveness. And I remember looking at one comment, and this comment stated, you Christians are so dumb because you'll just forgive anybody. That was the comment. You'll just forgive anybody. And I'll tell you what, if somebody hurt me like this, I'm going to hold it over their head for the rest of their life. So let me shed some truth on that, okay? Let me put this in perspective for you. You will never hold hate over somebody else's head. It will always be on yours. Because guess what? They're not thinking about you. <laughs> they don't care about what happened anymore. They're living life for them. But when you hold on to that hate, guess who it is tormenting? Not them. They don't hear your thoughts. They don't care about your comments. It is over your head. This burden is heavy, and it will torture your soul and kill your heart where you feel like you can't love anybody anymore because you're so angry. I can't believe they did that, God, and you, you haven't done anything yet. You haven't put them in their place yet. And it's hard to understand sometimes, but listen to this. Here's a clear warning for you, too. Leviticus chapter 19 Verses 16 through 18, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. You're angry at somebody, you need to hold your mouth, okay? And I know that it can be difficult, but do not stand idly when your neighbor's life is being threatened. I am the Lord. Now listen to this. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for your relatives. Do not hold on to hatred in your heart for your fellow brother, for your fellow sister, for your mom, for your dad, for your family, for your friends, listen to me, do not hold on to hatred in your heart over your ex or over a situation that happened that really, really hurt you. Because listen to this, listen, you need to confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sin. Now, what does that mean? What are you trying to say, Pastor? What do you mean that I will be guilty of their sin? See, the world calls us pushovers, but the truth is, according to the biblical text, we are called to confront, okay? So let's say in this scenario, it's actually family that the issue is with, okay? Not somebody that you can just walk away from so easily, but that you, you're going to see them a lot. They are family. They're going to show up to family gatherings, and you want to show them love, but it's really difficult. Well, the Word of God says to confront them. Not to let them just push you over and take advantage of you, but come together lovingly, okay? Add a witness into the room if you think it's going to escalate and become something it shouldn't, and talk about your feelings in a loving manner. Do not condemn them. That's not your job. God is not saying that. Don't come in there and tell them, like, well, you're, you're nothing, and you're never going to change, and this is why I don't like you. No, no, no. Talk to them about how you feel and why it hurt. 
and then forgive them and let it go. Because if not, you will hold on to the same hate. And when you condemn them, listen to me, you're saying that you are the judge. That's what God is stating. When you, when you say, you know what, you're going to hell, guess what? You're condemning them. And that same judgment will be placed upon your life as well. If you want to be the judge, then you will stand before God and you will face the real judge. He doesn't want that for your life. But listen to this. This is a clear warning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you what? If you refuse to forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your sins. Why? Because there is hate in your heart. And that means you're not being repentant. Okay, you're not coming to the Lord and saying, God, I see my own faults. You show me grace. There's many scriptures. There's a parable about this, about a debtor and a collector. And a king was freeing this man of his debt. He had this tremendous debt. He said, you know what? Since you've asked to be forgiven, I forgive you. And if you know the story, the man leaves the king. What does he do? He chokes another man immediately, chokes him and says, give me what you owe me, even though it was chump change compared to what he owed the king. And when the king found out what happened, he threw him into prison to the enemy. A lot of us are doing the exact same thing. We come into here on Sunday mornings or we pray during the week, God, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you for your grace. See somebody that owes you, come here. <laughs> I'm saying that's not the way it should be. Is that an example of his word? Is that what he wants for your life? No. God has not called you to take revenge. He's called you to forgive. He's called you to forgive, and this frees you. And what I need us to understand today is, and the reason why I want to talk about this subject is because boundaries are actually very biblical. And not only biblical, but boundaries, listen to me, will save your relationships. Boundaries will save your relationships. Why? Because it will protect your heart from becoming broken. And here's another big thing. You'll actually care. Because when you're saying yes to everybody and what everybody wants and allowing people just constantly coming back into your life and hurting you over and over again, you think that's what God wants you to do, then eventually you're going to burn out, you're going to be drained, and you're not going to love people anymore. You can get to a point where you're even serving in the church and you're just like, welcome. Thank you for being here. Glad you're here. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want to be here. Why? Because you're so drained by people, you don't want to see anybody. So how can you share the love of God? Because the real moments of witness are when nobody's looking. All right, when you're out and about and God says, pray for that person, and you're stating, God, I'm too angry to pray for that person right now. Because that's what the devil does. That's what our flesh does. And this is why God wants to see you released. Let me say it like this. Sometimes it is the answer, no, that will heal a broken heart instead of the answer, yes. Sometimes it is saying no that will heal a broken heart to give you clarity and give you time to be in the Lord's presence than always saying yes. So let me explain this. We know that we are created in the image of God. And we know this because of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created human beings. In the image of God, he created them, and he created them male and female, which means, okay, we have the attributes of God. And so our objective in life should always be a desire to have a heart and a character like God's. Meaning every day when you pray, you should be praying, God, help me, Lord, to see people the way you see them. Okay, because when I see people, I could just walk past them, or I don't care to have a conversation or to love on them. But God sees their hurt. God sees their pain. God sees what they're going through. And God may want to use you in that situation. So we are created in his image to have these attributes. And this is what allows us to have a relationship with him. And it changes who we are. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by what? By lust and deception in this world. So instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts your attitudes, and put on a new nature to be created to be like God, to have a heart and a character more like God's, truly righteous and holy. But let me ask you this, okay? 
Has God ever told you no instead of yes? Even if you wanted it really badly and you came here every Sunday and you served and you gave and you said, all right, God, here's my star chart. (laughs) Here's everything I did. I got a big golden star last week and got some juice. Lord, can I please have what I want? And God may tell you, no, you're not ready. How do you feel? Let me ask you in this way. Do you trust that when God says no, it's actually the best thing for your life, even when it's difficult? And I feel like we have all been there, especially when we're younger, or maybe you prayed something like this right now. You're like, God, can I have a million? No. Like, God, come on, let me finish the prayer first before you say no. Let me explain. Can I have a million dollars? No. Why, God? I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of of having a difficult time paying my bills and calling the bank, and I just feel like I'm worthless and all these things. Why can't you just give me money that I'm praying for? Why can't you bless me? Everybody's talking about blessings. Where's mine? And God is stating, listen, your habits haven't changed. You can't even steward $5. How am I going to give you more than that? Because what's going to happen is that you're going to get this blessing and this money. You're going to spend it the wrong way. You're going to put yourself more in debt than you were before. And then guess what? You're going to start worshiping money instead of me. And you're going to be angry at me when it's all taken away. Look at people that win the lottery. A lot of times they get in more debt than they were before and become completely depressed. Because they cannot handle that amount of money the right way. God is working on your character. Okay? And he may tell you no. A lot of us, God, can I be in a relationship? I think it's time. I think I'm good. Everybody else is going out, and it's really fun to see, and it's cute and all, but I don't like it, okay? I want to be in a relationship. I want to feel some purpose and an identity, and God is stating, you don't even know how to pursue me. Don't you know that I'm the rock and the foundation of every relationship to be able to succeed? If you don't pursue me, how can you pursue anybody else in a relationship? How do you think it's going to last? You pursue that person instead of me, and guess what? One day that person's going to aggravate you. They're going to upset you. They're not going to meet your expectations. Then guess what? You're going to walk away. You're going to want to be alone. Then your feelings can change, okay? But you have to learn to pursue me to understand that I will never leave you. And this helps you in your relationship with others. And so God may say no to your relationships, to your blessings, to the things that you want, and sometimes to healing. And it's hard, and it may be difficult to understand. But sometimes God is healing you on the inside instead of what's on your physical body. Because it's more important that you be healed in that way and spend an eternity in heaven than for a body part to be healed and spend an eternity in hell. And we don't always understand what God is doing, but do you trust him when he says no? Why does God tell us no? Listen to me. Because God's goal is not your comfort. It's your character. God's goal is not your comfort. God's goal is your character. To improve your character so that you have faith even when life gets very difficult. And he wants to put your priorities in in check. Because if you're saying yes to everybody that comes your way because you feel like you might hurt their feelings or feel bad for yourself and all these things... You're going to notice that you're going to become completely, completely drained. And that may be some of you today. So here's what I want to do. I don't want to just give you a bunch of opinions or illustrations. I want to show you out of the Bible why boundaries are important. And I have three points for you today to help at least start putting these boundaries in your life. Okay? So the first point is this. Say no to dumb arguments. Look to somebody next to you. Tell them, say no to dumb arguments. There are some conversations you do not need to engage in, okay? There are some arguments happening, being thrown at your face that you just need to keep on stepping and walk away from because if not, you're going to put your foot in your mouth, all right? And this is actually what the Word of God says. It's not just me just saying whatever. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4, don't answer the foolish arguments. Stay away from them. The arguments of fools. Why? Because you will become, listen to this, as foolish as they are. Now, this means do not lower yourself, listen to me, by arguing about something stupid. (laughs) That's pretty much what it means. And and it may be hard sometimes. Like, they said this about me, and if I just post one thing, God, 
Just one thing. They said, I haven't been working out, but let me post that one picture. You know which one I'm talking about, showing that bicep just a little bit. Can I just, can I just put that online? And then that's, that's when the Holy Spirit activate time comes up. And you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where God says, no, hold back. But let me say that like this too. Proverbs 26, verse 4, also means this, that a person doesn't care where you're coming from. They don't care about the meaning or the reason you're there to argue or what you have to say. All they care about is that they get the best of you. That's actually what this verse means. They just want the best of you. They don't care to learn your side. They don't care to understand your feelings. They just want to rev you up and make you look as foolish as they are because then nobody's going to respect you. Nobody's going to listen to you. And it's so easy just to act like the world. And God is stating, stand still. But God, what do I say? Nothing. But everybody's talking. I don't care. Do you trust that God will handle it better than you? Because I do. And I've seen him handle it. I have seen him take people out of the equation completely. Because I left it to him. And if I would have stepped in and said something, I would have put my foot in my mouth and made myself look bad. But God says, no, I got you. You keep walking in faith and trust that what I have for you is good. But again, you know, this can be easy when you, when you can just walk away from somebody. But what if it's a marriage, right? What if, what if you find yourself arguing all the time in your relationship, in your marriage, and you're just like, I don't know what to do, and I don't have any boundaries right now in my life, and things are escalating quickly. So I started to think about this. It's kind of funny, but when me and Christy first got married, back in the day, she's blushing over there already because she knows where this is going, and if we got in an argument, both of us had two bad habits, or a bad habit each, um, that would always escalate the fight. And the way she grew up in her family was to use cut-down words. Now, she would never cuss at me or anything like that, but she would just say, that is a dumb idea, and just, just be revved up and say, how could you think of this, blah, blah, blah. But see, the thing is, it's my fault. I, I'll say that up here. It's my fault because I was the type. Now, I wouldn't use cut-down words, but I love to poke the bear, Okay. <laughs> not calling you a bear. You're very beautiful. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I love to poke the situation and make it worse. And I remember, I think it was our first year of marriage. We were living in Grapevine, Texas. We're driving and we got in this, this argument about something. And she just said, listen, if you say one more word, just one more word, it's not going to go well. And I got quiet. <laughs> you know where this is going, right? And I look at her and said, word, boom. <laughs> I mean, it's just terrible just from there because that was my problem. I had no boundaries over that. And so she would say, well, yeah, and all these things would just come out. And we realized very quickly that needs to change because it never solved any issue that we had. We weren't able to talk. And so we realized that if things escalated to that point, there needed to be boundaries. And, and now today too, which we really haven't gotten to fight in a long, long time by the grace of God. But if I were upsetting her, she would say, you know what? Hey, this is something's about to come out and I don't want to say it. So let me just, let's just stop this conversation. I'd say, okay. And I would hold my mouth too and realize, hey, we can come back later and talk about this and talk about it more in a loving manner. But let me say this, in your marriage today, if you find yourself arguing all the time, yelling, screaming, fighting, or that's how you grew up, what boundaries can you set into place? Do you have any boundaries right now? Because this is very important because let me tell you, it is not okay to put down or belittle or cuss out your spouse. That is not of God. I need to tell you that right now. It is not okay to allow your anger to get the best of you and cuss out anybody else that's still created in the image of God. All right, let me say that louder because it's hard sometimes, but God, they hurt me and I just want to put them down. Yeah, but you're not representing me, God says. You're representing the world in a really bad way. And let me show you the dangers that come with this. James chapter three, verses eight through 10. No one can tame the, the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Now listen to this. Sometimes it curses those who have still been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, brothers and sisters, this is not right. Why is it not right? Listen to me on this. Matthew chapter 12 
36 and 37, Jesus said, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. What did you say? God is hard. You, you realize that sometimes lashing out with our words is just a form of control. You can't control the situation, so at least I can control some of the hurt that I'm able to throw back at you because you've hurt me so bad. And God is not calling you to hurt them so that they could hurt you more, and then everybody's hurt and everybody's heartbroken. No, God is telling you to tame your tongue, and out of that tongue, eventually will come praises to the Lord that will be shot up to heaven, and heaven will come down upon you in all glory and give you a peace and a joy. That's the process that God has for you, but it's so tempting to just... uh, to say something else, but you are not called by God to cuss somebody out. There's a reason why it's called a cuss word, a curse. And you're speaking curses over them, but you're also speaking curses over yourself. It's a spiritual thing. It's just not, it's not just a goody goody thing on the outside. It's a spiritual thing. It represents your heart. And I've always stated it like this, because when you curse yourself, you're giving verbal permission for the enemy to attack you. That's what you're doing. That's why God says to guard your heart, guard your mouth, okay? So you need to say no to dumb arguments, or you need to set up boundaries to protect yourself from saying things you're going to regret with people that you love, all right? Point number two is this. Say no to bad company. Say no to bad company. Let me tell you, there is a major difference between loving people and allowing everybody into your inner circle. Let me say that again. There is a difference between loving everybody, loving people, and then allowing everybody into your inner circle. You may have a lot of friends on the outside. You may be good to people because you love people, but it is okay to only have one person in your inner circle that you can trust, that you can share your secrets with, that you can go to for wise counsel. Because why? The Bible tells us, listen, you follow the wrong people, they can change you. You follow the wrong crowd, it can change your heart. I have seen it, and it breaks my heart. I've seen people change their environment and their crowds, and all of a sudden, they no longer believe in God. Where was your foundation in the first place? Was it in people or was it in God? Because no matter where I go, my foundation will always to believe what God has for me. It doesn't matter what people say, whether they agree with me or not. I know what God has for me. But the Bible makes this clear. 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 32 and 33. Let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Now, that's what we hear in the culture today. Just chase the world, live however you want to, no regrets, right? Do whatever you want to. It feels right in the moment, then chase it. But the Bible says, keep reading, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by these words or the people that say such things like this. Why? For a bad company does what? It will always corrupt good character. Okay, and people say, but what if I'm witnessing to them? All right, you're not going to get a lot of witnessing done at 3 a.m. in a party where everybody's drinking and will not remember anything you say the next morning. Okay, so don't put yourself in a situation because God doesn't want you to stumble either. He doesn't want you to stumble. There's some temptations you don't need to put before you because you're not ready for it. You can't handle it. So God is stating, don't put yourself in a situation where you may fall under temptation. Instead, run from that. But love on them. Be the example. And eventually, guess what? They're going to come to you. And they're going to ask for help in your situation so that they can see change in their own lives. But I do get this question, too. You know, in a relationship, there have been people like, but what if, what if I want to date this person and I really believe deep down inside they're a good person? They're a good person, and they're going to chase God, and I I believe that they can come to God. Listen to me. Let them come to God first. Because what happens, okay? Let's say say a girl is getting into a relationship. She she likes this guy, and she believes that one day he's going to be a great guy, but right now he's not that godly man, so maybe she can fix them. And what usually happens is instead of becoming a spouse and a helper, she becomes his mother. You don't want that. Okay, because eventually you're going to be frustrated in that. That's not what God has for you. Okay, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not team up with those who are unbelievers. 
For how can a righteousness, or how can righteousness be partnered with wickedness? How can light, listen to this, live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And I feel like when you say this verse, people get offended. What are you saying? That the person that I love is the devil? No. But they're not living for Jesus. Guess who they're living for? If they're not following God and walking in his ways and know his love, they are living for the devil. They may look at it like the world, but the devil, for this time, runs this world. They're living in the flesh, their own desires, their selfishness. And let me tell you right now, if this is the relationship you're in, this is not what God wants for you. This is not what God wants for you. He doesn't want you to be persuaded into circumstances because I talked about it last week. Eventually, if you got married, guess what? You're going to have kids. And if you have kids... Who's going to teach them about Jesus when you have a spouse that doesn't even believe? And so it's very important. But let me tell you, too, God can change people. I believe that. But allow them to come to God first. Allow them to see that change. All right. And if you're already in a marriage, let me say it like this. If you're already in a marriage where your spouse doesn't believe, pray, 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 pray. Stay committed. Keep believing. Pray over them. God can do miraculous things. Okay, I'm not going to limit God for anything. But we need to be aware of these things that can really break our heart in the long run. And let me say it like this. We thought we understood love until we encountered the love of God. And then we realized that that love of God is, is better than anything upon this earth. And let me tell you like this. First John chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into this world so that we may have eternal life through him. God is love. This is how we know love because we know God. Okay? Everything good that we see in this life comes from above. Even when the wicked are the people that just live in rebellion, just completely don't love God. They still know good things. Why? Because those good things still represent the character of God. It's grace. It's grace. He still shows them good things so that they may come to him and know his grace and know his love. Bad company. But here's the dilemma too. Okay, in relationships, in your dating stage, it could be a little easier. If you're hanging around the bad or wrong people, whatever, situations you don't need to be around, it could be easier to walk away. But what if, what if, what if, what if it's family? And I've seen this. What if it's, what if it's my mom? What if my mom is the bad company? What if it's my dad? What if it's my brother or my sister? And um, for me and my wife, both of us have a, uh, I have a brother. She has a sister that have both been addicts most of our life. And I realize when I say sometimes no is better than yes, you realize a lot of times we said yes to love on them and to help them, and the family did too. And every time we said yes, we just enabled them to hurt more, not only us, but themselves. And as, as hard as it was or uncomfortable as it was, sometimes we had to say no to actually see healing in their lives. There may be situations right now that you're going through where it's family crossing those boundaries. So are you allowed as a Christian to say no? Let me say it like this. Uh, Jesus did. Jesus actually said no to some family expectations. And I love the story. I don't think a lot of people know about this story. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 45, a situation happened. Um, Jesus is healing this man. He was blind and, and mute, and he was demon-possessed, and Jesus heals this man, and the story tells us that all of a sudden, everybody's gathering around him now. The crowd was crazy, um, and then I think also in, yeah, in the book of Mark, it says that it was so busy, so packed out that there was no place to sit or eat. Everybody was coming, and they started to talk to each other saying, is this the Messiah? Like, he's casting out demons. He has that spiritual authority. Is this the Messiah? So the Pharisees get angry. All right, and this is where they start to spread some gossip and they say, well, he gets his power from Beelzebub, meaning Satan. And they're pretty much stating that he's getting power from Satan to drive out Satan. So Jesus says, that's ridiculous. That's dumb. And he says the famous line, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And we've been over that as well. But what a lot of people don't know is that mama showed up too. And his brothers showed up. 
And this is what it states. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now, someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And I imagine like, you know, if you're in trouble and mama shows up and you see that glare in the back, like, okay, all right, mama's outside. Okay, let's pray. I remember reading this passage, so I'm being confused because of the way Jesus handled it. Because I thought his mom was just showing up to say, hi, I'm proud of you, whatever. And, and he, he says this. He said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I thought, okay, that seems kind of harsh. Why would he do that? Because uh, the book of Matthew is not telling us the whole story. The book of Mark actually gives us some more insight. What is that insight? Mark chapter 3, verse 2, when his family heard what was happening, listen, they tried to take him away. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. Listen to this. They even said he is out of his mind. They did not understand what God was doing in this situation. And here's what I added. If you ever see sticky notes on my Bible, just beware, okay? That means God has spoke to me this morning and I have added things. This is not going to be on the screen. But did you know that Jesus' half-brothers did not even believe he was the Messiah at first? Did you know that? So most likely it was his brother saying, well, he's out of his mind. What's he doing? I'm going to read this. John chapter 7, verses 2 through 10. This is another instance of this. Now, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, booths were approaching. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so, they, so that your disciples there may also see your works that you do. His brothers are putting ideas in his heads. No one does anything in secret when he wants to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself, Jesus openly to the world, and make yourself known, for not even his brothers believed in him. So what did Jesus say? He said to them, my time has not yet come, but any time it's right for you. The world cannot hate you since you are a part of it, but it does hate me because I denounce it and testified that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourself. I am not going to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things, he stayed behind and sent them on their way. You see, Jesus set boundaries even with his own family. If they were about to overstep a line and interrupt what God was doing. You understand that? But it's hard for us sometimes because we just don't want to say no. So I got this little illustration. I'm going to ask you guys to come up on stage real quick. Give them a hand too, because I know sometimes it can be... A little hard to come up on this stage. But here's what we do. A lot of times, we don't like to say no, so we say yes to everybody, no matter the situation. Hey, can you watch my dog this week? Sure. I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch your dog this week. Hey, can you answer 300 of my questions, Bible questions? Sure. Hold on. Let me watch the dog. Hold on. You, you good? Okay. I hope you've been eating, and you're answering all these questions, and then all of a sudden, people start calling you. Hey, can you answer my call at 2 a.m.? That's fine. Okay. What are you doing? Hold on, dog. Let me do this, and then your friends show up, and this is comical, but this is what we do. Your friends show up. Hey, I love you guys. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't have time to hang out, but I'm going to hang out with you anyway, okay? Just, just wait back there. It'll be fine. All right. So, they're hanging out. They're waiting on me. And I got the dog. I got the emails. I got the phone. I'm hanging out with y'all. And then the in-laws show up. Hey, guys. They're probably going to give me some friendly advice about my marriage. I can't wait. So <laughs> I'm telling you, I like to poke the bear. That's just me. All right. But isn't this real? Isn't this our life? And, and last week or, or a couple weeks ago, I said that we were in a rush to do what? To become somebody we don't even like. The reason why is because we're constantly saying yes to everything around us. We're saying yes to everybody else. We're giving time up for everybody else, but we're probably saying no to time with God. And eventually, if I don't learn how to set some boundaries in my life, I could love on other people and never love on my family or never be home for my kids or never be home or, or just not enjoy what God is doing anymore in my life. That's not what God has for you. I'm telling you right now, you have to put your priorities in the right place. Give them a hand too. Thank you guys for coming up here. And the real danger of this is your heart. What does God care about? How it looks on the outside, how many things you do, how many times you serve, how many times you give. No, it's always about your what? Your, your heart. 
Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus said, guess what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, for God loves a person who gives what? Cheerfully. Are you giving cheerfully? Or are you miserable in what you're doing? Because you feel like everybody has drained you. And you're no longer spending time with God. You're no longer serving with joy. You're just trying to earn God's love and people's respect. But people's demands are way too much for you. And you're trying to please people instead of God. Did you know that God also put a boundary in place to save you from this? It is a holy day of rest. It is a holy day of rest to know his goodness and his peace. And guess what? It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Now, let me say this, because don't misunderstand this message. Don't leave here today saying, well, the pastor said, I can say no to everybody and everything. Anytime the church calls, no, I love this. You know, it's good. I'm not saying that either, okay? This is not an excuse to be selfish or not serve the church or never help people because that's not biblical either. 1 Peter 4.10, 4, God has given each of you a gift from this great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another, okay? So boundaries is not just saying no to everything. Here's a clear definition. Boundaries is defining who you are in Christ so that you can allow or what you can allow in your life so that you can serve God with what? Your full potential. Boundaries is defining who you are in Christ and what you can allow in your life so that you can serve God with full potential. And Jesus set this boundary. Miss Madison, is she back there? I'm gonna ask her to come up on stage. I gotta be honest with you. This is my last point. Jesus said, no to condemnation of sin by setting up a boundary of righteousness. Jesus not only set boundaries with people and family and situations. Listen, he set a boundary for the sin that wanted to take us to hell. Wednesday night, I'm driving home and it's late because I wanted to get the sermon done and the ending wasn't there. I had a hard time. I, I banged my head up against a wall. My wife knows, the people, the staff here knows how much I work on these sermons I got crazy writings in the back sometimes. And I just say, God, you know, I've been on this all day. What is, what is the end? What is the end? And as I'm driving home, and it just hit me out of nowhere. I wasn't thinking about it. But I pictured this, this young lady, not Madison, but this lady out of the Bible. And she was caught in the wrong act. She did something bad. She was caught in adultery. And this lady out of the Bible was, was tugged in front of everybody, completely humiliated. And she was thrown on the floor in front of all these men that had stones ready to throw at her and condemn her and to kill her. And to be honest with you, they would have and nobody would have cared. As harsh as that may sound, that was the reality of what it was. And I saw this vision and then I saw Jesus setting up this boundary. And I brought Madison up here because I really want you to like see it. But I saw Jesus standing in front of this girl and he's, he's writing in the dust with his finger. Almost like this, this line, this, this boundary being set. And I pictured these men that want to condemn her and, and take her out and Jesus knew what they were doing. They were trying to trap him because they weren't following the law of Moses like they claimed because they didn't bring the man. According to the law, Moses is supposed to bring the, the man and the woman that's caught in adultery. They just brought the woman. And Jesus is riding in the dust. But I want you to see it like this. I also believe that as they were about to throw it at this girl, Jesus stands in front. And I want you to see it. This boundary. And they can't get past and so they're yelling at Jesus and they say, out of John chapter eight, what do you think we should do, Jesus? And they just wanted to trap him. It says that Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger and they kept demanding an answer. What do we do? Do we stone her to death? What does the law of Moses say? He stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. 
And he stood down again and he just wrote in the dust. And while he was writing on this line, this, this boundary, people started dropping their stones, dropping their stones, dropping their stones. And they walk away and they're angry. And I realized when Jesus said that, only the one who has never sinned can throw a stone. Jesus had the right opportunity to throw a stone. But he didn't because he was setting up this boundary of righteousness that we don't deserve and placing it upon us. And then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I'm gonna have you stand up right here because I really want you to take this in. Jesus was so loving and forgiving and kind and right. And he had uncomfortable uh, conversations and he set up boundaries. Why? Because he was constantly in the presence of the Father being rejuvenated. And there's times after the loss of John the Baptist, when he went to weep in the Father's presence, a crowd came up to him. Guess what? He had compassion on them. How? because he was rested in the Father. You know how hard it is to have a death in the family and still have compassion for other people? But his heart was there and Jesus set up that boundary. Let me state it like this. We were all on our way to hell, but Jesus stood in the way. Jesus stood in the way. He set up that boundary for your salvation and my salvation. Thank you, Madison. And so I get it. Right now, I'm asking our pastoral care team to come up front. I get it if you feel like life may be out of whack right now or you've had a hard time forgiving your mom, forgiving your dad, forgiving somebody in a, in a relationship you used to have. Maybe it's an ex and you're holding on to this hate and you never set up boundaries or you're just constantly, you know what? God, I'm so angry. I don't care anymore. And you're jumping into more relationships that are just toxic and not setting up any boundaries at all that help you. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness yourself. Maybe it's something you did. And God is still calling your name saying, I love you. And I'm here. I'm still setting up that boundary right now. You can know my righteousness. You can know my forgiveness because I love you. So in this moment, I'm going to ask if you need to come up front and you need time for prayer, don't hesitate. Or maybe you need to pray over somebody at your seat. But I believe that God wants to work in you and heal what's happened in the past and set biblical boundaries today. You can still love people, but you put God first, your family second, and you love others. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.